Hello, this is Gad Elmaleh and uh, welcome to showbizmonkeys.com. I guess the first thing I want to ask you is you had a very interesting pandemic, just like working on a one of the only movies that was allowed to shoot during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. What was that yeah. like? Well, it was a it was a movie about being stuck in a pandemic. Uh, so we made a movie about making a movie about being locked in a global pandemic. So it is pretty much the most meta comedy experience that you can have. Um, it's kind of cool, you know. If you if you look at the cast, uh, it's you know just kind of comedy heavyweights. So for me, it was like going back to school, really, and just trying to be uh, noticeable in a room full of undeniables. I, I think that's the best way that I can put it, you know. Was it almost comforting for you to have something to focus on that wasn't the pandemic? Like you were so focused on like keeping up with everyone else that the pandemic kind of took a backseat for a bit? Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I, I think when you're in scenes with like Keegan-Michael Key or like Fred Armisen and a bunch of other people, you know, you're just busy watching them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're like, listen, I need to get my A game together and be in this scene with them while I'm watching them in the scene. So I think it was it was a healthy level of anxiety where every emotion that you experience between 25 and 35 age, you're experiencing between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m., which is like, I'm amazing. I'm shit. I belong here. I should go home. Uh, just all of that stuff so yeah wow and and you also recorded a a special during that yes. time just doing crowd work on a zoom show which i feel like is two <laughs> anxiety driving words for a comedian <laughs> now i i mean i i wasn't planning to do zoom shows you know and then what ended up happening is you know, we had a reasonably tough second wave um, mm. and there was this fundraising to be done. So I ended up doing these fundraising Zoom shows and it was terribly uncomfortable and not a great format to do comedy in at all. But we ended up raising money for about 40 different charities for COVID relief. But just to break the ice, I'd, I'd ask people, hey, what's the first thing you want to do when the pandemic is over? And then two things started happening, which is... People from all over the world started to attend the same show, which you don't normally see, right? So mm-hmm. suddenly in my crowd, if there were 800 people on the Zoom call or 500 people on a Zoom call, there's somebody from Costa Rica, somebody from China, somebody from Ireland, and somebody from the UK and many people from India. So they all just had similar global common ground. And I'm like, this feels like a moment. Yeah. So... By about show four or five, I started putting these little cameras on in my room uh, and just being like, I'm just going to ask this one question. What's the first thing you want to do when the world opens again? And it turned into that. But it it started out entirely as a fundraising exercise. Mm -hmm. There was no plan to make a special at all. And and then we released the special on my website to raise money. Uh, And and once it was done, doing that is when Netflix bought it. So that's kind of how that went. Is there a way that you ended up prepping for that almost like (laughs) emotional strength training? Because I found doing Zoom shows, keeping the energy level up for myself and that weird um, panic mode when you think you're bombing because you can't hear anything like you almost have to ignore that. I, I think for me, like I made sure to have like at least 50 people unmuted on a Zoom call. So I, I wouldn't do it un- unless I could hear them. I just refused flat out. <laughs> and then, no, it was just 
is what was weirdest to me was you really you know when people pay to come out and see you they're on their best behavior in their best clothes and they spend a ton of cash to come see you right mm-hmm. but to see people at their worst behavior which is just which is really it's really a reality check in in how little you can really hold their attention span right when they're ball scratching and uh, you know cooking while they're looking at you or you know just kind of on the shitter or, or something else you know where you're like oh, oh my god this is this is really how my netflix special is consumed for instance right you give yourself these illusions of being this this grand act that people come out and see no right. people are watching you on netflix or on youtube they're sitting at home scratching their balls or, or making a sandwich or you know uh, on the crapper so it's a nice reality check it's pretty humbling for comics to do those shows i think yeah yeah well i i definitely feel some of that <laughs> yeah yeah i was also just wondering cuz i can't think of too many people i would get to ask this to because obviously you have a big following in India, but you've also broken over into the North American market. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> what does it take to be able to break into an international market? Or is there certain things you have to do or keep in mind? I know. And everything that I've tried to do or that I plan to do didn't work out in terms of, and then certain things did. And, and I can explain that, you know, when, when I started out saying, uh, okay, I'm going to start trying to make Americans laugh. And it's because it came from a place of, I felt like I wasn't taking stand up seriously enough. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm really going to give this a year of my life and go where people watch stand up. So for a year of my life, I took off from Bollywood and took off from India where one was you know, Touchwood God has been kind. I was doing larger rooms and, you know, really big venues mm. and just kind of went to Huntsville, Alabama and Charlotte, North Carolina and, you know, just to the improv or to Zanies and kind of spent a year trying to figure that out. Right. Mm. And the intention ended up being, okay, what do Americans want to hear about? And then Netflix happens um, to the world, not to me in general, yeah, yeah. you know, and then you realize, oh shit, people don't want you to tell them what's funny to them. They want you to take themselves some, somewhere new. You know, every culture has their own palatable version of Indian comedy, mm-hmm. right? Or their own local version of, of Indian comedy, which is, you know, represents the diaspora, so to speak. So, you know, in Canada, there's a Russell Peters. In India, there's a, a Hassan Minaj or, or an Aziz Ansari. In the UK, there are many comics, but you're coming in from now India, 1.3 billion India. So trying to do that wouldn't work. So suddenly people were like, no, take me to India. Tell me a more authentic story. Like Chappelle can take you and me to Ohio. I've never been to Ohio. Right? I, I don't know the first thing about Ohio, but I'm willing to go. So why wouldn't somebody be willing to come to Mumbai, you know, or to Delhi? So strangely enough, I ended up having to tell a more authentic story and to do me more uh, trying to break into the West. I mean, especially working with Judd Apatow, he loves that stuff. He seems to gravitate to people who are just 100% giving out their truth. Did you pitch him anything while you were on the bubble? Uh, no, we're talking about stuff, but uh, he was, that's exactly how it came about. You know, he, I had auditioned for another role and I didn't end up getting it. It went to a lovely actor called Samson Koyo, who, who mm-hmm. plays uh, the wellness expert in the movie. Okay. And I just, 
I just kind of got this call from judges being like, hey man, I think you're interesting and I think you have a strong voice. Come and do this movie and we'll just improv the entire thing. So that's what we did. We did, you know, 25 days of improv. I didn't have a line in the script before mm-hmm. the movie. Oh, not really? One line. Wow. Yeah. Uh, like me and Maria Bakalova. Not, we were added, I think, to two weeks before the movie. And so we just showed up without a single line in the movie and Judge just kind of captained us through this improv that you see on screen. That's amazing. The more I find out, the more stress I now understand what's <laughs> happening the whole time. Yeah. I guess to jump back to what you were saying, do you find big uh, differences in your South Asian audiences on different continents? Um, no, not so much. I think comedy crowds are comedy crowds now and it boils down to rooms and energies rather than sort of nationalities. I think, you know, they're coming in for one of three reasons, either because they want to just have a laugh. Um, for a lot of, a lot of my audience, they come in because, um, they want to go home. You know, this is the first time they've been in a room with 2000 other Indians in sometimes 10 years and they're like it feels good to feel this and 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 go home again Mm -hmm. and then some people are just coming in because they've seen a bollywood movie and they've never been to a comedy show before ever um so for them it's a completely new experience as well so it's kind of a mix of different things now there's not like one type of of audience and and you know earlier on it used to be 90 percent indian and now it's like 60% 60% Indian and 40%, you know, American or Canadian, which is mm. again, an interesting mix. You've said on uh, like past interviews and by that, I mean like on Conan, you said before, like you've always wanted to be a romantic lead, but the Bollywood and our perception of romantic comedies is still very far apart. Do you still feel that way? Do you feel like Bollywood is coming? Um, well, coming where? Uh, more North America, like blowing up. No, I don't think North America is a destination for Bollywood, honestly. And I, and I don't think they care. I'm sorry if mm-hmm. that sounds arrogant, but you know, it's, it's the biggest film industry in the world. We release like seven films a weekend. So they're busy uh, yeah. is the best way to put it. But no, I, I think. In fact, the reverse is true. More and more Americans are leaning into the spectacle of escapism. Um, and I think you, you get a little bit of that from us as well. You know, the, what I always laugh about is, you know, Americans for the longest time, they'd be like, Oh my God, these Bollywood movies, they're so fantastical and they're these huge costumes and, and these big revenge plot lines and everything's unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Then you go and make like 150 Avengers movies, uh, which are the only movies that work in theaters right now. They're yeah. Bollywood movies. Avengers are Bollywood movies, basically. Right. Or the, uh, what is it now? Fast and the Furious is about to be in space and everyone's yeah. just fine with it. <laughs> uh, I mean, shouldn't it just be furious at this point? Because once you get to space, space. isn't like nothing fast. So they should just call the movie floating and furious. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just like, you know, I don't know. Um, I read a thing that you actually, you, you, studied method acting in the states i did yeah yeah it was uh in galesburg illinois the mecca of civilization as we know it (laughs) it was was a fun program do you find that you've used a lot of like stanislavski in your uh the way you present yourself on stage oh yeah hell yeah don't you find a lot of stanislavski on friday night at the improv yeah yeah. Uh, if nothing else, uh, I think it just gives you a little bit of, uh, 
of comfort in terms of taking a risk on stage. That's about it. Nothing else. You know, like sometimes comedians will take pains to have economy of words and really smart writing. And then sometimes mm-hmm. we'll hold back on delivery. Like we hold ourselves back, you know, and, and sometimes if you're a very dry comic, but you're trying to put an hour together and you want that one sort of blip in the hour that, that is a slightly more histrionic delivery mm-hmm. or a slightly more, you know, sometimes comics, we feel insecure about doing that. And I think doing a little bit of acting just helps open you up for those things, you know, and, and it ends up giving your special uh, a little more dynamics you know, in terms of quieter moments and louder moments as well. So I think it helps with that. But apart from that, no, nothing else. I ended up getting influenced by a dance teacher at the time. And then I got made fun of by the comics. Like, you're really using the space. It's not like I was pirouetting. <laughs> They're just like, why are you moving at all? Yeah. So uh, just for laughs in Toronto, a lot of years, it's sort of like, it's, it's a very uh, comedy nerd style festival. Oh, yeah. Where you can see a lot of like comedians just starting their new hour and you can really see how the sausage gets made. Mm-hmm. What stage are you at now? What What are you working on that you're thinking of bringing this year? Um, you're going to see as finished a show as you can get uh, because I've uh, uh, it's done 29 countries and I do it in Toronto and then I film it the week after. So it's literally the finished special. Oh, really? Yeah. So I'm in Toronto, I think on the 30th or something. And then I Mm. literally film it on the 7th in New York City. So if it ain't ready, I'm in a bad, I'm pretty screwed. You know what I mean? By then. So, so you're going to see a very finished show in that sense. Okay. You have this amazing work ethic. I'm just wondering, like, what were your goals starting out in stand-up comedy? And do you have goals left for yourself right now? Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, I, I mean, there are, you know, there are bucket list venues that we all want to play. And I think every comedian tells themselves that, mm-hmm. you know, and then the dodgiest venue in the world ends up feeling better than those venues that you've always <laughs> had on your, on your bucket list. Right. Yeah. Um, I just really want to get good at this, you know, uh, and get better and better at this. You know, uh, I'm now, God's been very kind in that one can tour enough to pay the bills, Mm -hmm. you know, but also one can tour enough to take a month off and just work the comedy cellar, you know, or take a, take a month and just do the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, you know, where you're not going to make any money. You're just going to lose money, but it, it helps your development and you get to see great art and get to put yourself through the ringer. And so I'm freshly arrived at that stage where I can take these risks with my time. You know, so that's what I'm kind of doing right now. Any stage is a good stage and whatever pushes me to be better. That um, that sounds very present. If I have a last question, it's if you've been doing a lot of press lately, is there a question you wish someone would ask you? No, you know, I'm, I'm going to be honest because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's, of course, like, especially when you're talking to press abroad, there's, there's a lot of like, oh, it's so different for us and for you and, and this and that. But I'd love for like one reporter to be like, listen, I know everything about India. You don't have to tell me a damn thing. And I'm like, yes, now that's <laughs> that's right. a great. Uh, but we'll get there. I think. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank this you. Man. It's been great. All right. Have a good one. Cheers, man. Thanks. Mm-hmm.